A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Shout out. Don't hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion. Announce to the people of God their sins. Day after day they say they seek me and claim they delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the spirit of their God. But look... You serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself, to make a show of religious ritual while leaving your hearts untouched? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? No. This is the fast that I choose, to lose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house When you see the naked, cover them, and do not hide yourself from your own kin. Then and only then your light will break forth like the dawn, and the work of healing can begin. Your vindication shall go before you. The divine love shall be your rear guard. Then you will seek God and God will be found, you will cry for help, and God will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom Be like the noonday. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up, raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of broken communities. This is one of our sacred writings. Thanks be to God. Jacob sat under the fluorescent lights at the burger joint, waiting for Anthony to arrive. He'd never been to this place before. It was kind of a hole in the wall, but Anthony had chosen it for their meeting. He nervously shredded pieces of the napkin that was wrapped around the plastic cutlery in front of him. This was the third week of an eight-week internship at Ridgecrest, a multi-ethnic church with a local reputation for making waves. The internship was a seminary requirement, but Jacob had decided early on that he wanted to take advantage of the chance to dive deep into how the church could speak to some of the most polarizing issues in the political arena. 
So far, he'd gotten a primer on women's equity and reproductive rights, environmental stewardship, but for some reason, this was a conversation that he felt most nervous about. This was the week that he dived into racial justice. The bell over the doorframe rang, bringing him back to the moment. Jacob looked up from his shredding and recognized Anthony walking in and waved politely to a waiter that he knew. Anthony Calvin was an associate pastor at Ridgecrest. Formally, he oversaw liturgy, formation, and community engagement, though Jacob suspected that the job description had a tendency to shift depending on what Anthony felt needed his attention. A black man in his early 40s, Anthony had joined the church staff many years ago because of its reputation for social justice. When he learned what Jacob was trying to do, he enthusiastically offered to be the one to work with him on this particular issue. Anthony scanned the room and found Jacob, who waved, and then he started over. They'd really only met three weeks prior, adding to Jacob's discomfort. He stood as Anthony approached. Jacob, Anthony greeted, going in for a hug. How's your day going? Jacob sat back down on the red patched vinyl cushion, which let out a huff. Anthony did the same. They made small talk about the seminary and scanned the short menu. Finally, Anthony's friend came over and they placed the order. Okay, Anthony said after they'd handed the menus over. Rubbing his hands together and looking at Jacob through his narrow glasses, he prompted, you start. What exactly is it that you want to talk about? Jacob fumbled for a second, suddenly unsure how he wanted to start. Somehow, even saying the word race now seemed rude. Well, um, he started, uh, well, this week I'm spending time with the question of how the church can most faithfully speak to racism. Anthony sat back and raised his eyebrows. Oh, he said, and you wanted to talk to me about this, why, what, because I'm black? The bottom of Jacob's stomach seemed to disappear. Oh my God, I, no, I, what, I thought, and as he tried to sputter out a response, Anthony leaned forward against the table and smiled. Jacob, he said calmly, I've been doing racial justice work in the church for 21 years. I'm pulling your leg. Of course, I'm the one that you want to talk to. Whew, Jacob let out a sigh. Okay, he said, so you can see I'm a little uncomfortable. Anthony laughed. That's normal. Seriously, though, there, there is something that I want to say to prime this conversation. Jacob, have you ever heard of the magical Negro? Um, no, Jacob said, shifting uncomfortably in his seat. Did he just say Negro? He wondered to himself. Was he allowed to say Negro? This, is that a thing that one could do in the 21st century? Unencumbered, Anthony went on. Well, look, the magical Negro is a trope in American movies. It's the wise, patient, old black person who shows up in the white-centered narrative to help the well-intentioned white person learn something on their warm and fuzzy journey of self-discovery. That's their sole purpose. Think about, uh, think about Uncle Remus, Bagger Vance, pretty much anything Morgan Freeman. You follow me? Jacob nodded. Now, since white people have been consuming these stories for so long and are pretty used to seeing the whole world as a white-centered narrative anyway, they typically assume that it's the job of the black sage to somehow help them feel good about themselves or become somehow not racist. Do you see where I'm going? Jacob nodded again. Wow, he said, you're right. Oh, I know I am, Anthony chortled. 
one of the many things white folks tend not to notice. So I just want to say up front, that's not my job here. I am not the magical Negro. The work of becoming anti-racist is yours, and by having this conversation with you, I'm not hoping to make your life easier. I'm hoping to win you over to my story, to my fight. Do you understand? I think so, Jacob replied, even though he kind of felt a nudge of resistance in his chest. Something away about the way that Anthony said white folks bothered him. It didn't feel good being painted into such a generalized group. He started to say something, but at that moment, the food arrived. Two greasy cheeseburgers with crinkle-cut fries and red baskets. It smelled incredible. They got situated, and before Jacob could bring up what he was going to say, Anthony said, Okay, so you want to talk about how the church can speak to racism. That's right? Right, Jacob said, recentering and reaching for the ketchup. Like, what can the church do to speak for justice? I, I mean, I feel like as an institution, it's really failed in a lot of ways, but what can it actually offer if it took Jesus' way seriously, you know? Anthony chuckled. Well, I think the church has a lot to say about justice, about how we're all one in Christ, and about how we need to loose the bonds of oppression, but... Generally speaking, to be honest, I think that most churches would be more helpful if they stopped talking for just a minute and instead started trying to root out the racism in their own thinking. That wasn't what Jacob expected. Well, he said, pushing back, I mean, I'm more talking about churches that aren't racist, you know, more progressive churches. Oh, yeah, Anthony said, that's what I mean. White churchgoers, uh, especially white churchgoers who tend to think of themselves as progressive, often do the most damage. The problem is that most white people think they aren't racist, and they aren't shy about saying that. So, don't know how they're actually perpetuating racism in the system. So, you're saying that I might actually be a racist without knowing I'm a racist, Jacob asked like it was a joke. He wiped grease from his fingers. Anthony, however, did not look like he was joking. He decided in that moment to be blunt. Jacob, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you most definitely perpetuate systems of racism. Jacob laughed uncomfortably, but saw the look on Anthony's face. Well, hang on, he started to say. I mean, you, you know, you barely know me. I have black friends. I, I don't judge by skin color. I'm not a... He caught himself and leaned in a bit. I'm not a racist, he finished quietly. Oh, but there it is, Anthony said excitedly. There's the problem. See, we've been taught that the story of racism, in this story there are two characters. There's the racist and the not racist. The racist, now they're the ones wearing the white hoods and scratching no coloreds onto cardboard signs. The not racists, on the other hand, they're the ones who try to treat everybody politely. They don't see color. They don't commit hate crimes. In this story, simply being a not racist by simply being a not racist, the world changes slowly but surely as the racists die off or have a change of heart, and eventually we wind up in this post-racial American utopia. You know, some folks think we're already there, minus a few hateful fringe groups, of course. He paused to take a bite. When you ask people where they are in this story, it's not hard for people to find themselves. They say, I'm not racist. I have black friends, but here's the thing. And he beckoned for Jacob to lean in like he had a secret. 
that story isn't real. Okay, said Jacob, confused. What do you mean? What I mean is, Anthony reiterated, that story isn't true. According to that story, racism is just when one person does something hateful to someone of a different race. And so long as we're nice, then we can't be racist, right? Right, Jacob said tentatively. Well, in reality, Anthony continued, racism isn't so much about individuals being prejudiced as it is about systems which are made up of people. The education system, the criminal justice system, the banking system. These structures disproportionately benefit whites over blacks. So you can be as nice to black people all you want, but those systems aren't going to change. What we need then is a better story, one that doesn't let people off the hook so easily just because they're nice to people of color. We need a story that identifies the systems themselves as racist so people can act to change them, can put a spoke in the wheel. We don't need a not racist story. We need an anti-racist story. If churches, heck, if anybody could do the work of finding themselves in that story, then we'd be getting somewhere. He paused, taking a drink of his Pepsi. They didn't have Coke. Okay, Jacob said, starting to understand. Well, what would a, did you say an anti-racist? What, what would an anti-racist story sound like? Well, for starters, Anthony went on, it's too simple to say that there are only two characters in this story, the racist and the not racist. Historically, it would be better to say there are three. There's the segregationist, the assimilationist, and the anti-racist. That sounds complicated, Jacob said, feeling out of his element. Oh, not really, Anthony said comfortingly. Let's walk through them. Watch this. First, there's the segregationist. He grabbed the mustard off the side of the table and put it down between them. This one's easy to spot. Everybody agrees that they're racist. This one is flying Confederate flags and using racial slurs. They believe in the supremacy of white people and that other races are irreconcilably clean and unclean and should be put in their segregated place. They can be racist in their individual actions and at the same time work towards a racist system. And by that, I mean a system that places their idea of whiteness as the golden standard of how people have to behave to achieve the American dream. And then there's the assimilationist. And this he took the ketchup from the condiment caddy and put it next to the mustard. Now this one's more palatable. This character doesn't seem racist because they don't go around committing hate crimes. They believe that blacks really should be included, providing, of course, that they can behave appropriately or that they assimilate into white expectations. If their speech was more white, their clothes, their culture, then they'd be less threatening and more civilized, more like us. Their perceptions of blackness are inferior, but fixable. Do you see the problem? There's still a white supremacy. They're just nicer about it. They may not be overtly racist in their individual actions, but they do contribute to a racist system. Do you follow? I think so, Jacob nodded, looking at the condiments on the table. Okay, well then finally there's the third character, the anti-racist. Reaching over again, he didn't grab another condiment but the salt shaker, placing it in front of the other two. Now, the anti-racist is totally different because they don't put their experience as the standard and judge others by how they compare. 
This character acknowledges that there are different skin tones, different hair textures, different behaviors, different languages, different cultural trends, but hold all of them on the same level. They are equal in their divergences because each carries a piece of God's image and reveals something of God's being. Now, this anti-racist character knows on a macro level that blacks and whites are different, but neither are superior. There's no hierarchy among race. They do see, however, that there are racist systems that disproportionately disadvantage people of color, and they seek to challenge those. So they aren't racist in their individual actions, and they actively work to dismantle racist systems. Are you following? Jacob nodded, pointing to the two condiments in the salt, the segregationist, the assimilationist, and the anti-racist. Anthony nodded and started putting the items back in the caddy. But let's talk real life for a minute, okay? Let's talk police brutality. In this new story of race, the assimilationist is going to say the officer used too much force and that's wrong. But the victim is also at fault. If they had just spoken more clearly, had followed the officer's instructions, then they wouldn't be in danger. In other words, if they'd just be less threatening, they'd be fine. Nothing wrong with the system. And that made sense to Jacob. He wasn't sure what was wrong with that. So he listened more closely. Okay, but the anti-racist, Anthony continued, they know about the talk. The talk, Jacob asked. The talk, Anthony nodded. And not the sex talk. I'm talking about the talk that every black parent has with their teenager, regardless of their socioeconomic status, where they sit down and explain that whenever they're pulled over, they need to put their hands on the dashboard and avoid sudden movements. They have this talk generation to generation because they know that no matter how much money they have, no matter how upstanding they are, police have always seen their skin as a threat and will react more fearfully and aggressively. Wait, Jacob interrupted. That's a thing? Oh, you bet your butt it's a thing, Anthony said, serious as a heart attack. See, Jacob, there's a whole assimilationist history that tries to blame black behavior for the economic and social inequalities. Famous anti-slavery and civil rights leaders have tried to advocate for what they called uplift suasion, saying if black people could just lift themselves up and act with dignity, then the public perception would change, but it never does. What happens instead is that when a black person made it, somehow managed to finagle their way into the American dream, got a degree, became president, then America would look at them as exceptions to the rule. Because for blacks, negativity is generalized, generalized while positivity is made to be a unique case. And for the whites, the opposite is true. The anti-racist knows this, so they are more willing to stand up, to put their neck on the line and say, it's not blackness that must change. It's the implicit biases and discrimination of the systems and their unjust policies. Do you see the difference? Yeah, Jacob said. You're saying that the assimilationist might not think they're racist because they're nice to black people, but they're actually working out of and supporting a racist system that hurts people of color. That's it, Anthony nodded. And that makes sense, 
because they're usually the ones benefiting from the status quo. They're the ones holding the power and the privilege. Nothing changes then without people interrupting the systems with direct action, demanding immediate justice. No justice, no peace. He sat back and let out a low laugh. White people don't like that very much. It makes them uncomfortable. You know, MLK called the assimilationist the white moderate. And Jacob, he leaned in, he said that they were a greater stumbling block on the road to black freedom than the segregationist Klansmen. Hang on, though. Wait, wait, Jacob interrupted, <coughs> remembering the discomfort earlier at being painted into such a generalized group. He pushed his empty basket to the side. Anthony, you keep talking about white folks and black folks, but you can't be so general, can you? I mean, everybody's different. Not all white people are the same, and not all black people are the same. Anthony laughed, not unkindly. That's a good point. Good point. The forest and the trees. You don't feel like saying white folks or black folks respects everybody's individual experience. Is that right? Right, Jacob confirmed. Okay, well, first, you're right. Everybody does have their own individual experience. But second, in the big picture conversation on racism, what we're exploring is group patterns. We all have unique experiences, but they don't discount the group patterns. You can say, well, I grew up poor, or, well, I'm from an Italian family, but you also grew up white. A poor white person, an Italian white person. It's both and. Your experience, unique though it was, falls under the greater umbrella of being white. And it's the same with black people. I might have come from a middle-class family or have gotten a seminary education but those both fall under the umbrella of being black. They don't discount the group patterns that still play out on that macro umbrella level. We've got to look at those head on. Because there are differences in how we're treated by law enforcement, in how frequently we get the health care we need, in how when you got a scratch at school, you could be reasonably certain that they'd have a Band-Aid that matched your skin color. Or when you reached for a flesh-colored crayon, it was the color of your flesh. Anthony paused while that sunk in. Jacob was speechless. He'd never noticed those things, small that they were. Of course, Band-Aids were always his skin color, a very small reminder of how the system was designed for him, for whiteness. He'd been swimming with the current, so he hadn't noticed it. Hadn't noticed how it benefited him. What else had he missed? Bigger things. Had he been unknowingly upholding an unjust system his whole life? Just in his neutrality to it? So, Anthony interrupted his thoughts. If we leave behind this racist, not racist story, where would you say you are in this new story of race? Jacob stared at the Formica table between them, trying to find the courage and humility to confess. I guess, he started, I guess I'm an assimilationist. And that means, he looked up at Anthony, I am a racist. 
Okay, first, Anthony said, smiling, son, you're not going to want to shout that because people can hear you. Jacob lowered his head. But second, Anthony went on, it's humbling work to see yourself as part of this story. Most people are too scared to accept that they're part of a racist system because they think it somehow makes them bad or immoral. But friend, it's just the water you've been swimming in. It's the system you were socialized into. It's not your fault. However, now that you can see yourself more clearly, you can also see where you want to go. Don't be satisfied anymore with being a not racist because that's not real. You've got to figure out how to be an anti-racist. You asked how the church could speak most faithfully to racism, and I think it's the same thing. You, you've got to have the courage and humility to drop the defensiveness and confess, to see yourself in the story and the story in yourself. Like Isaiah said, start by rooting out the idols of injustice in your own congregation, by removing the yoke from among ourselves, and then our light shall break from on high. Then that's where the grace comes in. Then that's where we can start calling ourselves agents of healing, repairers of the breach, restorers of broken communities. Then we can actually start making a difference in anti-racist work. But dismantling racism starts within our own walls. And right there, he pointed at Jacob, in your head, the fight has got to start there. The neon walk, the neon clock on the wall over the counter told them that it was just past one. Time to wrap up. Listen, Jacob said, taking a breath. Thanks for meeting with me and, and well, thanks for being so honest. I'm not sure what I expected. Well, you expected to commiserate for a while about how other people are racist, Anthony interrupted. Right? Yeah, I guess I did. Jacob laughed. Anthony stood up and left a tip on the table. Jacob followed suit. They started walking to the door. Man, that's what we all want to do, to push the problem off on somebody else. But it's about us, Jacob. As much as we think that we are beyond it, the new story has to be about us, our confession, our repentance, and our healing. You're right, Jacob said arriving at his car. This is me. All right, man, Jacob said. Anthony said, going in for another hug. I'll see you at church. And with that, Jacob sat down in his hot car and started home. People of God, let us find ourselves in this story. Let us commit to the work of anti-racism without reserve. Let us seek to embody that equitable, peaceable kingdom of God that is always and forever as close as our own breath. Amen.